Romans chapter 5, verse 12. We're going to read through verse 18 tonight, and I know that the Lord's going to encourage you with this message because I was encouraged studying it. Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Here's the words of Paul. He says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of, uh, of him who was to come. But the free gift is not like the offense, for by one man's offense many died, do much more through the grace of God, and the gift is uh, not like that which came through the one who sinned. For judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift, somebody say the free gift, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through one, much more uh, those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act the free gift came to all men, resulting in the justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign more through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father, we thank you for the word of God tonight. We thank you for Paul who wrote it and everything that he went through, Lord, in his body and in his spirit as he got to the point to write this letter to these precious people. Lord, although this letter was written many, many, many years ago, I ask that you would breathe into it a rhema word for us and let it come alive to us and let it mean as much to us as it did to them in that day. And we're so thankful for the word of God and we're thankful that we have a Bible to read because there's some people, Lord, who don't have one to read. And so, Lord, we don't want to take that for granted. So bless the reading of your word and the hearing of it tonight, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, good evening, everybody. Like I said, it's good to be back with you tonight, and I hope you've been tracking with us as we've been in this change series. This is the letter of Romans that Paul wrote while he was in Corinth, and he was preparing to uh, get over to Rome and to preach the gospel to them. Paul was a debtor. If you begin to read chapter 1 and 2, Paul talked about how he had been transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he said that I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. And to the Jew first, and then also to those, the rest of us, the, the Greeks and everyone else who would believe. And Paul begins to talk about the law versus grace. And Paul begins to talk about how mankind without Christ found themselves to be guilty, guilty as sin. And Paul began to talk a lot about judgment. He began to talk about a, a lot about man's separation from God and the wrath of God against them. You know, last week we read James 4.4. He said, don't you know that those who are friends of the world make themselves enemies of God? But praise God, through Christ, he's given us reconciliation. So now, no longer are we, as believers, enemies of God, but we are made righteous. Now we're sons and daughters 
daughters of the Most High God. And the wrath of God that was due to us has been stayed because of our position of faith, believing in Christ. And so uh, Paul is talking to the church at Rome, especially in chapter 3 and chapter 4, and he's trying to tell them that it's not the keeping of the law or the circumcision in the external like the Jews did that made a man righteous towards God, but it was believing in what Jesus had done, the finished work of the cross. You know, and I think if we take anything from that, here's what we walk away with. We walk away with the understanding is that in and of ourselves, there is nothing that we can do to earn our way to, to heaven, to please God in our flesh. Uh, no, no, no. You can't check enough boxes. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Faith is a key player in our walk with God. Colossians tells us that we ought to continue in the faith that we have received. That, that faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ in the resurrection. It is that faith that we're saved by through grace that gives us that intimate connection and relationship with God that we call salvation. Paul said there's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do, uh, you know, to please God in and of yourselves. It is by faith, and we've also learned that a faith that is true is a faith that produces. James also said that faith without works is dead. So we're not saved because of our works, but we're saved because, uh, or actually our works are produced because of our salvation. So a fruit a tree is known by its fruit, and it produces fruit because of the root and what the root is connected to. And the Bible tells us that that root is Christ. Amen? John chapter 15 says, if you abide in me and, you, and I abide in you, he said, you will bear much fruit. We can only produce fruit as much as we're connected to the vine, the, the, the root system that is Christ Jesus. But tonight, Paul begins to shift gears just a little bit and begins to tell us about this perplexed problem called sin. And tonight, I've simply entitled this teaching, The Last Adam. The Last Adam. You know, how many of you have ever given someone an important assignment? Maybe uh, mom, dad, maybe you gave your children something to do at home. Maybe a boss, you gave one of your employees something to do. And they utterly failed. I mean, flat-footed. They failed. They fell completely on their face, and they messed up, right? Anybody ever done that before? Well, you have to give people an opportunity. You have to give people an opportunity. In my college, uh, one of my college classes that I'm taking right now is a leadership class, and John Maxwell said this. He said, a leader who fails to delegate fails to produce more leaders. And part of delegating is you have to give people the opportunity to fail. If you do it all for them all the time, then you're, you're just going to be a manager and not a leader. You have to let them do it and attempt to, to try to spread their wings. Well, but how many of you, like I mentioned, have given somebody a task that was vitally important and they dropped it? And in the dropping it, in our own human frustration, we said something like this. Well, I guess if you want something done, you should do it yourself. If you want it done right, you ought to do it your, just do it yourself. And while that's not a good human attitude, I want you to see that that's kind of what happened in Christ. 
In Genesis, the Bible says that God created the entirety of the heavens and the earth. In six literal days of creation, the Bible says God created the sun, the moon, the stars, the the oceans, uh, the fish, all of the animals, all of those things. And then on the sixth day of creation, the Bible says, and God said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness. And the Bible says that God created him male and female. It's the only place in Scripture where you see they're combined together like that. But God separated out of Adam a spiritual uh, surgery, and out from his rib, his side, came forth Eve, and God placed them in a beautiful garden. And God gave Adam a job. He said, Adam, I want you to till this garden. I want you to plant in this garden, and I want you to take dominion over the earth and everything that creeps upon the earth. And he says, you can do anything within the parameters of what I've assigned for you, except you cannot eat from these trees, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life. And we know the Bible tells us that there was a serpent in the garden that was a a, a talking serpent, and that serpent kind of came, and the the old King James uses the word beguiled. He beguiled Eve. He seduced her because God had said, don't eat of this tree because the day that you eat of this tree, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, and you will will know all things. And, and, uh, And so the serpent came and beguiled Eve, and then here came along Adam, and she sweet-talked him into it, and Eve uh, Eve partook of that fruit, then she gave some to Adam. Now, let me show you the responsibility the Bible puts on the husband or the man in the relationship, because the man is supposed to be the covering over his wife. And even though Eve was the first one to eat of the fruit, the Bible says that sin came through Adam. Have you thought about that? So it doesn't let Adam off the hook. Adam is the one who brought transgression by his disobedience because man was out of place. It caused Eve to be put into a position. And see, when the this is a whole different sermon, but when the man is displaced in the home, it causes chaos all over the place. Hello. And so I'm, maybe I need to preach there. I don't know. But there's something to be said about manhood in the home. But when we, what we see here, what we see here is that God told Adam to have dominion. And Adam was, was it's like football. Adam was running the ball. He had the, the, the command of, of the Lord to be fruitful and to multiply and to replenish the earth and to have dominion and to subdue it. And all these things would be under his feet. But because of the transgression of Adam, what happened is the Bible says that they ate of that tree, and at that moment, the Bible says that they were naked and they were ashamed. Before then, they had no concept of immodesty. They didn't know what it meant to be naked. But now, they, the, they have a sense of guilt and shame, and so they run and they cover themselves in an attempt to hide from the presence of God. So Adam and Eve sinned, and what happened? Their response was to run from the presence of God. Do you know it's not much different today? When people sin, they want to run from God. But can I tell you that as a son and daughter of God, when we mess up, God doesn't want us to run from him. He wants us to run to him. He wants us to run to him. And God says, Adam, where are you? 
Now, how is a, an ever-knowing, all-knowing, omniscient, omnipotent God going to ask a question that he already knows the answer to? He answers, he asks that question, that rhetorical question, because he wants Adam to admit where he was. He said, Lord, we're hiding ourselves because we're naked. And then God asked another question that he already knew the answer to. He said, how do you know that you're naked? And so anyway, Adam and Eve are in this state. And even though they didn't fall over and physically die instantly, the death clock started at that moment. And they lived for hundreds of years, and as you read in Scripture, even up into our time, the lifespan of humanity has gotten shorter and shorter and shorter and shorter. And it's interesting to me that you see this in Adam and Eve's life, but God has a plan. God has a plan. You see, (laughs) we're going to get into this thing in a few weeks And it is going to blow the top of your mind. And I hope that there are some complex things of Scripture that sometimes you have been bamboozled over and didn't know how to explain them or understand them will be simple to you. For instance, we wrestle with this idea of God's foreknowledge and sovereignty versus the free will of man. In other words, how can God be all-knowing. And in other words, he knows everything that we're going to do. He knows the end from the beginning. He knows the end of the game before the game ever starts. But yet, he still, somehow in his infinite majestic mind, allows for the free will of man. And so many people fight for the exclusivity of these two um, theological things, whether it's all sovereignty or it's all free will. But literally, it's not one or the other. They are both working interceptively together. God is just big like that. And so it looks like, why did God allow Adam to come into the world if he knew that he was going to mess up? And it's almost like God said, "Uh uh-oh. But how many of you know God's never said, "Uh uh-oh? Never. What if I told you that God already had a plan. He already had a plan. That plan is, is, is revealed to us in a very obscure passage of Scripture. It's Revelation chapter 4. In Revelation chapter 4, you know, we come through Revelation 1, 2, and 3, and we have the letters of the seven churches of Asia Minor and to the, the church of Pergamos and to the church of Thyatira and to the church of Laodicea and to the church of Philadelphia. He's given these letters to these churches, and he's telling them, you know, what they're doing right and what they're doing wrong and what the Lord's word is to them. And then in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, John says, And I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and after these things I was caught up and there was a door in heaven and I began to see things and I heard the thundering voices of many waters and there was a scroll that was open 
uh, that was there, and they couldn't find anybody to open this scroll. And he said, I looked, and I saw a lamb that had been slain from the foundations of the world. What was he seeing? He was seeing Jesus, the victorious one, the one that was not the, the lamb that had came into Bethlehem's manger, but the lion of the tribe of Judah. He saw the lamb that was slain from the foundations of the world. That means before Adam ever made a mistake, Jesus had already had a plan to come into the earth and fix what Adam messed up. It was all a part of the plan. And God is showing us in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty that he can see the end of a thing from the beginning of a thing. Blows my mind. Got to be honest with you. I read through the New Testament every 60 days. I've been doing that for a long time. Every 60 days I read through the New Testament, and I read through the entirety of the Bible every year at least once. And every time I read this book, I am more confused about certain things. You say, Pastor, that doesn't sound very spiritual. Oh, yeah, it does, honey, because the more I think I know about God, the more I figure out, the more I don't know about Him, because He's bigger than me, and His thoughts are not my thoughts, and His ways are not my ways. They're higher than mine. But I'm telling you, when I look at this Word, there's some things that I can't figure figure out. I don't know all of these things, and people call me crazy, and, and, and they say, Pastor Brad, you're just a nut. Well, I might be a nut, but I'm screwed on to the right bolt. Hallelujah. And I'm thankful that God is bigger than me, and I don't have to figure all of this out. But what I know is before Zacchaeus ever needed a tree, God had planted a seed. Uh, I know that before Adam ever dropped the ball, Jesus was already on the scene and already paid the price and already done the work. God is so good. Whew, I can't figure it out. But here's what I know. In this passage, two people, number one, two people are compared. Two people. Two people completely analyzed. The Bible talks about the first Adam. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 says this, Therefore, just as though one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and watch this, and thus death spread to all men because all sin. For until the law, uh, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there is no law, right? Here's, here's what that means, right? The, um, if a person is driving on a road and there's no speed limit sign to tell them how fast they're going or how fast they can go, the just law will not allow them to be held guilty if they didn't know. Now, that doesn't work in America because we have the laws and we have the constitutions. But in a, in a world before the law was given, um, we've got to understand God gave some oral commands to like, to like uh, Adam and Eve and told them what to do. But when the law came, law brought the transgression of sin. Now, notice this. It says in verse 14 that death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him to come. So the Bible tells us that Adam messed up, and he messed up for everybody. Adam literally did not come from the union of a 
physical man and a woman. He was made in the image of God. He was made in the image of God. He said, did Adam have a belly button? I don't know. He, maybe, maybe not. <laughs> now I'm starting to think of other things, and you can't, yeah, yeah, you can't do that to me. All right. But Adam, Adam was created in God's image. The Bible says, and man became a living soul. The Amplified Bible says, and man became a speaking spirit. He was made in God's image. He had total dominion. And then sin came. The ground became hard. Thorns and thistles began to be produced. Um, all of these different effects and elements of this curse of the fallen world began to fall upon mankind. And then what you begin to see after Adam in Adam's children with Cain and Abel. We have the first recorded murder in Scripture. Then when you go on from Genesis from there, we begin to see all types of wickedness, all types of evil. And it, listen, it didn't get very far. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but from Genesis 1 to Genesis 6, God wiped the whole earth clean. It didn't get very far. We're not talking about from Genesis 1 to, to Isaiah 50. No, 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 no. From Genesis 1 to Genesis 6, the earth had gotten so bad, the Bible said that it repented the Lord that he ever made man. It was that bad. He said, I looked down from the grandstand banisters of heaven, and I only saw one man who was righteous, Noah. And by proximity of, of relationship, God spared Noah and his whole family. Eight of them got on the ark with all the stinky animals. And when I get to heaven, I want to ask Noah why he put mosquitoes on there and cockroaches and mice. Maybe God's got some eternal cosmic purpose that we don't understand. But I wish Noah would have swatted the mosquito before he got on the ark. But by one man's consequence, it altered the genetic reality of every person. And this is what the Bible calls original sin. Original sin. So let me stop right here and talk to you for a second. I may not even get through all this tonight. Let me, let me talk to you. Original sin. Everything in this world that is bad. Now, Let's go to elementary school real quick. I need you to say something with me. Say, God is good. The devil is bad. Let's do it one more time. God is good. The devil is bad. Now, let me quote a scripture to you. James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness, neither is there any shadow of turning. If it's good, it comes from God. If it's not good, it's not from God. And here's what I want to tell you. Every wicked thing in this world that happens today, whether it be, um, you know, whether it be um, uh, abortion or rape or murder or, or, or stealing or gang violence or you insert whatever tragedy in the world that we have today, it is all a result of sin. Original sin. Somebody say original sin. Yeah, original sin. When a believer is saved, we are redeemed from the curse of the law. God gives us redemption, and there's redemption realities in Christ. But the earth has not been totally redeemed yet. 
The Bible tells us in the book of Peter that at the coming of the Lord, he's going to melt the whole earth with fervent heat. That truck, that boat, that Harley, hello, everything, those golf clubs, everything that's in our garage is going to burn up and melt. And God's going to renovate the entire earth with fire. You know why he's going to do it with fire? Because he told us with the rainbow in Noah, I'll never flood the earth like that again. There have been some times I have wondered. But he said he wasn't going to do it. But nonetheless, what happened through Adam... Death reigned in humanity. And so Adam's kids, and we come up through, uh, you know, Ham, Sham, and Japheth, and, and you see Noah gets off the ark, and, 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 and Noah has partaken of the vineyard a little bit too much, and the Bible says that his children uncover their father's nakedness, and he says, cursed be Canaan, and then you've got these things that are coming from Canaan, and, and there's giants in the land, and, and whoa, it just gets so crazy when you begin to get through Exodus, and you get through Leviticus, and you get through Numbers, and all through the Bible, you see all of these things that are a result of sin. The imperfectness of humanity because of the corrupt bloodline. Adam was not conceived by a union of a man and woman. He was conceived by the very fingerprints of God and the Spirit of God being breathed into him. He created a human counterpart named Eve Created them to be different. Their parts were different. Right? He made them certain kinds of way to complement each other. You know why you know why God called Eve woman, right? Because when she came out from Adam's side, when Adam woke up, he said, Woo man. And God said, That's what we'll call her woman. He thought she was pretty. Eve simply means the mother of all living things. And God biologically designed it so that the chromosomes of the man and the chromosomes of the woman, their DNA were to intermingle and there would be certain attributes that would come from the father and certain attributes that would come from the mother. But the child gets the, uh, the, the most of their genetics from the father's side. And, and so the reason from Adam, all of these people are in sin. And so in the book of the law, God institutes with the temple and the tabernacle, even going back to the, to the transgression of Adam and Eve sinning and covering themselves with fig leaves, God says, no, fig leaves are not sufficient. Something's got to die. So then he goes and comes back with some lamb skin. You know what God did? He slaughtered a lamb in the garden for Adam and Eve. Again, a type of redemption, the shedding of blood. Life for life. And so, get this, Adam and Eve are, are going through this process, and, and so God institutes through Moses, through the children of Israel, a system of sacrifice where there's what we call the atonement. And they, were, they had a priest. God gave them a priest, and this priest, once a year, would find this lamb that was spotless, it wasn't broke leg, it wasn't blind, it wasn't discolored, it wasn't the one that nobody in the family wanted, it was the best one, and God would only offer, or he would only accept the best one. 
And that priest would take that sacrifice and he would offer it to God on behalf of the people. And rather than to cover their sin, it just simply postponed the judgment another year. The priest would offer that on that day of atonement. But always out in the future, that sin, that, that punishment was dangling. Because all man tried to do, they tried to keep the law, and all the law did was make himself righteous and, and show them that man was not able to keep it. So what did God do? That lamb that John saw, in Revelation chapter 4, that was slain from the foundation of the world. He said, here's what we're going to have to do. The first Adam dropped the ball, lost dominion, brought sin into the world. And now through his bloodline, he has passed down iniquity through all generations. So what I need to do is, I need to do this myself. So the Bible says that when God... Uh, saw that it was fit. The book of Galatians says, when the fullness of time had come, God brought forth a son, born of a virgin. You wonder why the virgin birth is so important to Christianity? It's not that it would have been a bad deal. I'm sure God could have done something through Joseph, but it didn't have anything to do with that. God understood what we didn't understand until thousands of years later when science confirmed it because the Bible and science are not contradictory to each other. They always complement each other. But here's what we didn't know back then that Jesus already knew. The sin nature is inherently passed down through the Father. And he said, so I'll let him be passed through the womb of a virgin, but I'm not going to let some man get involved with this. I'm going to do it myself. And so the Holy Spirit breathed upon the womb of Mary and conception happened and Jesus was formed in the womb. And God birthed him through the womb of a little girl, 12, year, 12 to 13 years old, they say, and brought forth a spotless lamb into the world. One that never sinned. You know why Jesus didn't sin? It's not that he couldn't have, but he didn't have the nature. He didn't have the nature. He had what the first Adam had before the first Adam fell, which was an incorrupt imprint. His code was not messed up. And so Jesus came into time and died upon the cross being the ultimate sacrifice for humanity. And that's why Paul said, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. There are two people compared here. There is the first Adam who messed up and dropped the ball. And then there's Jesus. And by the way, Jesus is not called the second Adam. He's called the last Adam. Because there will not be another one after him. Amen. Two people compared. Jesus picked up the ball and he finished the job. Two people compared. I'm going to go quickly. Number two. Here's the second thing our text tells us tonight. Not only are there two people compared, there are two positions contrasted. The first Adam brought spiritual death. 
it actually became man's default position. The man would be born into sin. Both of these people created a situation. Adam brought death to all who would be born. But the last Adam, being Jesus, brought life to all who would believe. So, the first Adam brought death to all who would be birthed. And the last Adam uh, brought life to all who would believe. Jesus became the answer for the sin problem that humanity was dealing with. The Bible said it was horrible. It says that death, that spiritual death, spread to all men faster than COVID could ever spread, faster than any germ, faster than any molecule could multiply, any virus could replicate. No, sin spread to all humanity. But Jesus had the bloodline of a champion, a thoroughbred, had never been tainted by the sinfulness of humanity. That's why he was able to give his life on the cross. Two people compared. Two positions are contrasted. Here's the third thing, my last and final. Number three, there are two possibilities which are conceivable. The word conceivable simply means are having the ability to bring forth or to produce. Two people, Adam and Jesus. Two positions, death and life. Two possibilities. Eternity with God. Eternal separation from God. This is the dilemma that all of humanity finds itself in. And folks, here's what we have to understand. The Bible tells us in verse number 17, For if one man's offense, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Christ Jesus. Right? Now, if you begin to look at this, the Bible begins to tell us plainly that man has two positions when it relates to eternity. We have the position of being reconciled to God. We would call that receiving salvation or receiving eternal life. Okay? The other position is the default position of humanity. And that is eternal separation from God. Now that is sad. Because what that means is, is that us as believers, we have a responsibility to share the good news. Because here's the thing. How many of you were raised Catholic? Was anybody raised Catholic? Okay, that's okay. Don't be upset about it. I'm not going to shame Catholics, but I do want to bring something to your attention. One thing that's different between Catholicism and Protestantism is this, okay? Two things. First of all, when you look at most Christian pictures of a cross, a crucifix, it is empty. 
When you go to most hospitals or places where um, maybe it's a, a Catholic hospital and you see a cross, oftentimes you see a robed or draped Jesus still on the cross. Now, you and I receive an ordinance, which is called the Lord's Supper. Catholics refer to it as a sacrament. They actually believe that when they take the bread and they take the wine and they put it into their body, it's called the doctrine of transubstantiation. They believe it literally turns into the body and blood of Jesus. And Paul said, or the Hebrews writer, which I believe was Paul said, that Christ died one time for all. So in other words, Jesus is not being crucified afresh every time we sin or every time we get saved or somebody comes to Christ, right? The work has already been finished. Now, you and I celebrate Independence Day, right? Where we celebrate our freedom. There are many different things in our nation that we celebrate. I was raised in the South. I always loved the 4th of July. I always loved freedom. Loved the popping of fireworks and the cooking of hot dogs and things of that nature. But I was raised in a town that was 60% Caucasian, 40% African American. So I had a lot of African American brothers and sisters and friends and classmates in my, in my area. And I never understood why they, what, what they celebrated a holiday called Juneteenth. And I didn't ever really understand what it was about. But when you understand the Emancipation Proclamation was when the last of the slaves were notified that they were already set free. They were working as slaves, and they didn't know the law had already set them free and granted them liberty. And that's the gospel message. Listen, Jesus has already paid the price for every man, woman, boy, and girl who are in spiritual slavery in darkness to Satan. Listen, but salvation is not automatic. Death and separation from God is automatic. The gospel can only be applied in one's life when they have an opportunity to receive the free gift of being free from the law of sin and death and accepting the sacrifice of Christ on the cross. That's why Paul was so um, pressed to share the gospel with people because he realized this. He realized that there are people who are bound and they don't realize there's an answer. And that answer is Jesus. Jesus. See, there's some people who take this really far. You can close your Bible and I'll, that'll be a cue for me to stop. There's some people who take this far and it's a heretical doctrine. It's called the doctrine of inclusion. And the doctrine of inclusion says, since Jesus died for everybody, then everybody's saved. The Bible doesn't teach that. That's hogwash. If that's true, then what in the world are we doing? What are we all doing here? We ought to just go have a good old time. No, no, no. Listen, Jesus paid the price for all, but all don't know it yet. That's why we have to herald the good news. You ask somebody, have you heard the good news? No. What, what's the good news? It doesn't seem good in my life. Everything seems to be going bad. What, what, what possibly can be good? You know Jesus loves you. You know Jesus died for you. 
Well, you mean all the stuff that I've done, all the things that I've done in my life? Yes, those things too. In fact, he died for you before you even did those things, and he knew you were going to do them before he died for you, but he still died for you anyway so you could have a changed life and have eternal life in heaven. That is the good news. It's two people, two positions, and two possibilities. Let me give it to you in simple English tonight. It's not in Greek, it's not in Hebrew, and it's not in Aramaic. You can stand up on your feet, and I'll give, it, give you the answer tonight. Here's, the, here's the, the final synopsis of this message. It's Jesus or Adam, life or death, heaven or hell. There's no third option. It's really one or the other. And the great thing about it is, as Darren said tonight, the Lord gives us the, the choice. The Bible says he's not willing that any should perish.